right? Perfect. So I like to call the January 19th meeting of the Altamont Landfill and Resource Recovery Facility Open Space Advisory Committee to the order. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, roll call, please. Certainly. Uh, Sean Wilson. Here. Problem? Here. Here. And uh, Carol Silver. Silver. Here. Great, good quorum. Um, item number two approval of the minutes from November 17th. I'll make a motion to approve them. Second house. Have a uh, first and a second. Do I need to do a roll call vote now still, or, or do we not? We'll do, we'll do okay. Got it. So we'll do a roll. Oh, we want to do public comment first on the minutes. That's number two. Any members of the public like to speak on the minutes? And raise. Pass. Roll call or approval of the minutes. Hi. So perfect. <clears throat> Moving along, got another brief public comment. This is a moment where any member of the public may address the committee on a matter that is not on today's agenda. Do we have anyone from the public that would like to address this committee? Thank you for joining us in person. <laughs> Item number four, final report on phase two of the Transportation Wildlife Corridors Project. Is Catherine Boxer online? Or? Uh, Catherine isn't with us today, but we do have Frazier showing uh, attending knowledge. So. Fantastic. Look him up whenever he's ready. Um, am I running it from my side, or, or are you are you guys running it from your side? Yes, please run it from your side. Okay. Just give me a second. I'll share screen. All right. Can you see the slide? Title slide? So I'm going to be doing the whole presentation. Uh, thanks to the ALOSC for hosting the presentation as well as obviously hosting the project over the last few years. It's been a really great experience working on this. Um, this does represent our kind of final report presentation. Um, other partners on the uh, project are obviously ACRCD, Kat, uh, Catherine Boxer, Courtney Kuhn, very critical, Jennifer Travis, and then finally Connolly more recently has joined ACRCD. The purpose of the project was to identify species that are in the area, Ultima Pass and along I-580 through um, Alameda County and looking for optimal lands for acquisition uh, 
that would protect wildlife movement. And so most of the purpose of our project has been about wildlife connectivity, wildlife movement. Um, a little different from, you know, buying a preserve area for a single species or a group of species. It's more thinking about wildlife movement across the whole area. And then also looking for places that are more suitable for wildlife crossing across I-580. And that's directly linked to the second purpose of, of land acquisition for wildlife connectivity, because you want the wildlife to be able to move through the land, get to the highway, safely cross to get to the other side. We used wildlife cameras primarily for this. Uh, we did collect a couple of other kinds of data as well, uh, roadkill data and animal sign data. Um, I'm not going to share the animal sign data. Uh, basically, everywhere we found at species of a certain, uh, using animal sign, we found a certain species. We also got a picture of that species using the camera trap data, and the camera trap data is a, is a better way to determine species usually anyway. Uh, it's a more of a sure thing. We had two phases of this project. The purple camera dots were from the first phase, and then we added the blue cameras um, for the second phase. The orange box on the far left indicates cameras that were I, I added because I could. They're outside of uh, the ALOSC area. I added them. They consider them UCD cameras um, because I felt like it was important to cover the entire stretch all the way to Castro Valley. Oh, it did include um, three locations as a result of landowner outreach. And this was primarily done by ACRCD. They reached out several times to a lot of landowners and we did get three that agreed to have cameras on their property. These are private landowners, not um, agency, like the Contra Costa Water District. We had a lot of pictures to work with of a lot of different species. Um, of the 77 species we identified, 52 were birds. Very useful for the birders. We didn't use those, uh, but we did identify the species. Uh, it's kind of a due diligence. If anybody wanted to have some bird information, we would be able to contribute. Uh, we had 20 wild mammal species, including a couple of invasive non-native species like wild pig, but most of them were, were native uh, mammals. The cameras were deployed for between a month to three years, essentially. And that represents the, the wide range of our project extending over a three-year period. And also that with some of the landowners, we only recently put cameras out. And so we only had about a month of, month of data. The size of the circles in these maps indicates the number of days. So you can see relative uh, to each other. Um, can you guys see my cursor? Yes. Okay. So the map on the right is the east side of the study area, Brushy Peak. Uh, park is right here near Greenville Road, which cuts across right there. And then over on the far side is the, the valley. So Ultima Pass is approximately through this area. So the bigger the circle, the more days of deployment. Uh, this area over here, um, coming out of Dublin, going towards Castro Valley, you can see that these circles are generally smaller, and that's because they were only cameras were only deployed there in the second phase of the project. By the way, if anybody has any questions, please interrupt, because I've had to minimize all the pictures of everybody so that I can um, see my slides uh, on my side. Uh, the species richness, which is the number of species that we observed, the number of native uh, wildlife uh, mammals, 
varied across the different sites, but it wasn't because of how long we had the cameras out there. So that's a big concern. If you have a camera out for a long time and a camera out for a short time, you might expect you're just gonna see more variety of species in the camera that you had out for a long time. But you can see here the color of red, the darker the color, the more species. You can see we have some big um, <clears throat> dark colored circles, meaning we had the cameras out there for a long time and we saw lots of species, but we also have some big light colored circles, especially over on the Contra Costa Water District property where we had the cameras out for a long time and we saw very few species. And then counteracting that or, or somewhat related to that, um, you can see over here near Greenville, we had cameras out for a relative shorter amount of time and we still got a lot of species. Uh, and then there's a camera here where we had it for a very short time and got almost all the species that we observed in the project. Species diversity, so the number of species, um, oops, sorry. And um, there's a, this what's called a Shannon Species Diversity Index. And so it takes the number of species and the number of times you saw that species and creates an index. The larger that number, the more diverse your population is of species. And so on this table, this complicated table here on the right, the um, on the left-hand column, it says positions. Those are different camera positions across the landscape, uh, Brushy Peak, um, Doncaster Regional Park, Contra Costa Water District, Greenville Road under crossing, different things like that. And then on the right-hand side is the diversity index. And the, basically the outcome was that we did not find a difference in species diversity when we compared underpasses or undercrossings to non-underpass or non-undercrossing areas, indicating that undercrossings were allowing species to go through in certain places. Uh, also distance from I-580, the, the chart on the bottom left, uh, the number of species is on the y-axis, and then the distance from I-580 is on the x-axis. So up against the left here, the, this is right at the highway. And then as you go over here to the right, these are cameras getting further and further away from the highway. And although we did tend to see more species further from the highway, there wasn't a very strong relationship. Certain species were more affected than others by distance from the highway. So at the underpass, we never saw brush rabbit, uh, kangaroo rat, or mountain lion. Uh, whereas when we looked at areas away from the highway, we did see those species. There were differences between the Altamont Pass and the Diablo Range area and the Castro Valley, um, East Bay Hills areas. Um, more species in the Altamont Pass area than the East Bay Hills, which is somewhat surprising. But we also had more cameras, uh, and our cameras in the East Bay Hills were, were primarily right next to 580. We didn't have as much access away from the highway in that area, um, so that might reflect that difference. <clears throat> By the way, the codes, um, you'll see all this in the report, the codes, the two or three letter codes that you, you see in the um, column to the far right, the identity of those species is down at the bottom of the slide here. Um, with uh, most wildlife species in California, we have what we what are called habitat suitability models. They're basically models of where the species might occur. And we found that the these models um, of where species might occur, where they occurred as roadkill, and where we saw them on camera traps all lined up, which is exactly what you'd want to see. Different ways of observing the wildlife, whether it's roadkill or a camera trap, and then modeling where they might be. 
um, all seem to line up together, which is a really good sign. That means the models are probably accurate. We did see um, for different species, they occurred at different rates at different underpasses. And what this means is that for some underpasses, for some species, it was a great combination. And for other underpass and species, it was a bad combination. They just didn't like it that place for whatever reason and wouldn't go there. Um, the Greenville Road undercrossing, this is not actually at Greenville Road, it's the dirt road and rail and uh, undercrossing just to the east uh, Greenville Road. We call it the Greenville Road undercrossing just for convenience. Generally, it had the highest species diversity and it had the highest rate of occurrence of most species. So for most species, it was the most popular place to cross um, I-580. Then we compared our findings to the decision support system um, developed by uh, UC Berkeley folks in the Division of Ag and Natural Resources. And we did find some inconsistencies. Um, for some areas, I'll point out where it worked out, there we had high species diversity in cameras from the Brushy Peak area southward towards the highway. And that's also an area where their prioritization value is fairly high. And so we were just using the priority value. But in the mid Altamont Pass area, priority values are more medium. And that's actually where we also had high species diversity. So the priority value wasn't necessarily representative of native mammal um, diversity. And you can see over here, to, we had areas of lower species diversity, but the priority value for this area was the same as in the Ultima Pass area where we had higher species diversity. And part of that might be that the decision support system was not built around um, the same data and native mammal distributions. In conclusion, uh, for certain species, we did not see them using existing structures. So the black-tailed jackrabbit, brush rabbit, bobcats, gray fox um, in the East Bay. And then over, um, and then for any structure across High 580 and Ultima Pass or the East Bay, mountain lions and kangaroo rats were not observed to, to be seen using any of the structures to cross the highway. And we did see them away from the highway, so we know we, they're there and we're able to detect them, but we didn't see them at any undercrossing. Um, recommendations, we suggest protecting wildlife use of some of the existing structures, uh, the crossing just to the east of Greenville Road, the very large bridge. It seems to be the most important for wildlife along I-580. Um, there's an old rail tunnel, and then there's a bridge uh, right next to it, which is a occasionally used rail line. Those uh, structures also had fairly high uh, species diversity and they're right at the pass um, and they seem to be really important. Uh, we are working on, as, as you know, we're working on a, a now a new project funded by the Wildlife Conservation Board to look at gaps in where species movement, uh, it doesn't appear to be occurring and propose uh, new crossing structures in those locations. And for that, we'll probably need at some point to think about land acquisition to support that, the wildlife getting to those uh, structures. It could be acquisition or it could be conservation easement, but basically supporting wildlife connectivity to wildlife crossing structures. Enhancing the decision support system to include more updated mammal species occurrence information um, in habitat models would probably be a good idea if that tool is gonna be used. And then finally, this last one, 
looking at targeted monitoring using eDNA, environmental DNA, and uh, more cameras seems like it could be a good idea, especially as we get closer to starting to make some decisions about new crossings. And that's all I have. I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, sorry, I moved fast through somewhat complicated information. It is explained in more detail in the in the written report. No, thank you very much. It's very, very good stuff. Uh, any questions from, you, Dr. from any members of the committee? Do we have a written report? Is it? Yeah, that's so if you were, so thanks for the report. Um, if you were to pick a spot to create a new under or over crossing, where would it be? <laughs> if I was, if I was um, king of the Bay Area, I'm open to a challenge. I'll, I'll take that one on. Um, I think. Um, there's a there's an interesting combination. If we look over in the East Bay Hills, we had very poor wildlife movement through existing structures across 580. Some of it was really important, like the pink dot right here. That's badger, uh, plus a couple of other species. So badgers are actually going, and this is right next to a road. So there's a road, a minor road going into the highway, that was useful. But this stretch through here, um, very little animal activity uh, next to the highway, even just off the highway right here. This camera is a couple hundred yards from the highway and we didn't see much wildlife there. So I think that through here is, is a really important barrier. We were hoping that these, this area here would kind of take up the slack, but as you know, uh, the parks over towards Castro Valley, uh, they're pretty good natural areas, pretty good riparian, but you've got houses right there, right next to them. Um, so we did get pretty good wildlife activity and movement. Um, we did see mountain lion activity. But um, you know, protecting that area and protecting movement through there, I think is gonna be more challenging. So this, if, if a new structure was not built in the East Bay Hills across, East, uh, across I-580, then I think we'd really wanna enhance this area for its, uh, its use by wildlife. And then over on the other end in Ultima Pass, um, in terms of existing structures, so not just building new ones, this, this structure here is probably the most important um, it's connecting a big protected area to the north with uh, pretty good rangelands to the south, and it's an existing very large bridge. So the fact that it's very big and it's uh, we have a lot of evidence of it being used and it's in a good spot uh, suggests that, that you would want to do that. And then the other one over here, uh, the rail tunnel. The rail tunnel itself uh, is not excellent. Um, there are wildlife near it. As you can see with this big dark red circle kind of in the background, there's quite a few species in that area. Most of them seem like they're they're probably going under the rail bridge, which is immediately adjacent to it, uh, for those familiar with that area. So this seems like another good spot for um, existing. And then outside of that, um, if one was to build an overcrossing, then there's, the, you know, the highway divides along through here. So that's not excellent. Um, but this through this part of the pass, there's some pretty narrow areas where there's a road cut and bridging that with an overcrossing would probably really help with certain species that are more hesitant about coming up to the highway. Can such you, as mountain uh, lions. Yeah, on your map on the right, 
Can you sort of guess where the aqueduct is? Hmm. You mean the big aqueduct, the LA aqueduct? The Central Valley is right over here. Right over here. It's right over here. I'm sorry, can you see my cursor? Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's to the far right of the it's to the right of the farthest dot, farthest orange circle. It's to the right of that. Are you talking about the South Bay Aqueduct or the Central South Bay? The South Bay. So close, one closer to Livermore. Yes, yeah, that's what right there. Yeah, that one's that one. That other the one you're just talking about is right here, and then the big one is over here. So it's pretty close to the, the Greenville on this map. I yeah, hard for me to tell. Okay. So most of most of the big circles then are to the east of the, the south uh, the other aqueduct that's close to Greenville. Yeah, and so the big remember the size of the circle is just how long it was monitored with a camera. The dark red, how dark the color is, is the number of species. So yeah, okay. most most of the cameras are to the east. And then these are right on top of it, essentially. Right. Okay. Thanks very much. Not, not literally on top of it, but next next door. Again. Yes. Again. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Yes, sir. Um, thank you for the presentation. You mentioned uh, a couple of times about DSS, the student support system. Um, and you mentioned if that's going to continue to be used or will be used in the future. What is that? Does that indicate some um, uh, some um, uh, inadequacy of the DSS and what it's being used for now, if anything? Um, I mean, I would say you'd want to improve it before buying anything big, um, but I don't want to ding my colleagues over at UC Berkeley. They, I'm, I'm not sure, and maybe you guys can tell me, if they used uh, mammal distributions or mammal models or habitat suitability as part of their mapping. I do know they use birds and, and amphibians, reptiles. And so I think we'd want to look at the underlying way that the model is developed. And then if there's uh, like the overall priority value doesn't seem to line up with the mammals that we observed. So if your priority was protecting mammal species movement through the area, then it's not consistently lining up. The priority value doesn't consistently line up. Um, but if you, uh, if they had a different box to check, you know, in, the, in a menu that said for here's the priority for mammals, maybe it would line up. So the model was not created with, with mammals. I think the Samuel Kid Fox is the only mammal that's uh, used, but not lions or any right. the other big ones, right? It's mo it's mostly uh, things that are listed on on the um, you know special status species, right? With its critical habitat. However, there are some connectivity. There's a, a there's a whole panel of connectivity, five different connectivity um, gauges. But I'm not sure what those maps were based on. But those were important yeah. when created them. That's right. I, I forgot about that. And, and um, we just did an evaluation at the Road Ecology Center of all of the big, the statewide models of connectivity and found that they don't, they also don't line up with where the wildlife actually are. So I think there's a, there's an underlying problem of the models don't always line up 
with where the wildlife actually are. They don't know where they're supposed to be, uh, which is part of the purpose of this project. But for some of them, as I showed before, some of the, um, the habitat suitability models, they do line up with where we're observing the same species. So I think some of the modeling efforts are usable as part of a DSS. And the advantage of those is that we didn't have cameras everywhere. So what we can do is basically validate a model. And if we find out that it's accurate, then it is worth using it as part of the DSS. Yeah, yeah that was um, basically what I was looking for in terms of uh, you know, how do we know which is accurate and which we should use as a basis. And for that, we would rely on people like you to tell us you know, that information. Yeah. And I'm full of opinions, so I'm happy to be a resource for that if you have questions. <laughs> Any other questions or comments from the committee? Very good. Reason. Very good. Yeah. Rob, any, anyone online? All hands raised? Oh, okay. Here we go. Do we have questions coming in? I think, Dr. Shelley, I think we have someone online that may have raised their hand. Uh, Kelly, go ahead, please. Hi, uh, thank you, uh, Kelly Drew. Um, uh, I was uh, wondering uh, if, uh, if if you could uh, uh, repeat the name of the model, that one or, one or two of these models that are appear to be working the best. And I'm wondering if, uh, if you're seeing a, uh, a, a two things what, uh, that that uh, unpopulated areas are are not all equal because it seems like the hilly ones are more are more preferred and the uh, like out out towards Altamont I mean the uh, the uh, Altamont Freeway Junction 205 and 580 the east end of Altamont the town the old town of Altamont and Mountain House not the not the the pass uh, out there there's no uh, uh, the animals don't like it out there, even though there's empty, uh, there's empty flat land. And then uh, uh, secondly, do you see, uh, 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 so unpreferred flatlands, and uh, do you see a damming effect where the, the, uh, the urban area, which is Livermore and the, the Tri-Valley and Castro Valley, every, there's urban areas everywhere. The urban areas are damming the animals and forcing them to go around corners so they all crowd in at the corner, which is uh, Greenville Road. Thanks. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's three questions there. So the um, the models, the, the good thing for the DSS is that the California Department of Fish and Wildlife made models for each of California's native wildlife. And those models appear to be pretty good. They are not connectivity models, but they are models you could incorporate into something like the DSS for any, for all the mammal and um, herb species that you might be interested in. Um, in terms of the land to the east of Ultima Pass, um, we didn't get that many wildlife out there. Uh, the model, the priority value seems to be low. And I think there's several reasons for that. One is that the there's a he pretty heavy grazing through that area. And so the, the vegetation cover is lower. The grazing I think is, is uneven through the pass. So some, People have much, you know, taller grass, richer habitat on their lands, and others don't. And I think that's reflected in in some of these um, 
kinds of maps. Also, the east side is drier, and so it's naturally going to be less productive than as you go more towards the west, even in a small area like this. And then finally, in terms of the urban compression idea, um, I think that there's, I definitely think there's some validity to that. If you if you think about that Castro Valley area where those red dots are in the far right, far left, sorry, depends how you're looking at the map. Um, the far side and next to Castro Valley, we did see quite a few species in the parks there, not as many as we saw in the Altamont. And the, the thing that's interesting about that is the Altamont's really open, low cover habitat, lower productivity. And on the East Bay Hills, that's riparian, thick vegetation, lots of productivity, but very uh, but fewer species. And I think that's because of the human development that's right there. So the, the wildlife are kind of crammed up in that park because that's where they can live. But I think it also ends up reducing their diversity. Um, and I think that um, it's a little different than the Greenville Road situation, because in that case, the it seems like there's a high species diversity there. It is crammed up against Livermore, but um, maybe because the, the development there is less intense, on that's on the east side of Livermore there, um, there's more opportunity for wildlife to be closer uh, than over in the Castro Valley area. So I think it's, there's gonna be different reasons for those kinds of compression. I think that that does happen in urban areas, but I think it's more of an issue over on the west side uh, in mm -hmm. the East Bay Hills. Well, I was gonna say, this is just a hypothetical, but I know that during the years where we had unprecedented drought years, we had a lot of mammal um, mammals moving in different directions, trying to find food and shelter. We had unprecedented numbers on our rural roads in terms of in terms of roadkill because these animals yeah. are trying to find water and shelter. It'd be it'd be interesting if we were able to place some of these cameras on those rural roads like Mine Roads, Patterson Pass, Coral Hollow, and see what type of mammals you see out there. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. We we observed that in 2015, 2016 in our statewide roadkill data that there was a, a spike up and we thought it was probably because of the drought. And I checked in with CDFW and they said there was more human-wildlife conflict during that same time um, because wildlife mm -hmm. were looking for um, resources during the drought. Um, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting idea. We call them at-grade cameras and it's basically to see how often and, and how animals behave when they come up to roads. It's a challenging type of monitoring to do. Um, you'd really want to have a good question in mind why you'd want to do that because it's, it's um, you get a lot of theft basically. <laughs> you lose a lot of the cameras because they're next to the road. <laughs> Any, anything else? Anyone else online? Great, well thank you, Dr. Schilling. It's, it's always yeah. great, but I appreciate all your work here. Yeah, sure. No problem. I'm going to miss you guys. Um, thanks for all your good work. I'm sure I'll see you again, um, yes, but sure. not as often. <laughs> okay. You take care. Take care. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, moving on. Item number five, <clears throat> uh, outreach to public regarding open space. Right here in funding available. I know this is something we've talked about in September, again in November. Um, any, any new thoughts? Yes. So... The County Resource Conservation District is going to prepare a grant proposal to submit to this committee, hopefully in March, um, to have some um, 
presentations by California Rangeland Trust and perhaps some other basement holders in various locations around where, where our money can be spent. Altamont's money. Um, in the Altamont, in the Sonola area, in the Belden Gray area, uh, to see if there are um, landowners who might be interested in um, putting easements on their land. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the, this committee can then help fund those easements, and they, if they're up close to the freeways, they can be land that would be protected where the crossings are going to take place, either approaching an undercrossing or over an overcrossing. I think the land, the, the crossing is a narrowest. And on the sides, you need a funnel on both sides so that the animals to be funneled into the actual crossing. So there'll be opportunities, hopefully, to interested landowners. And this sort of relates to the idea of ecosystem services. We might, the committee might think that it's more important to spend a little more money, pay more for an easement that has the funneling effect to a crossing than it would be for some isolated patch somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Even though wildlife may be on that, it doesn't have the service of the, the migration corridor, which allows you know, genetic interchange and that's. So this, you say at our next meeting? We hope that we'll be able to do it, yeah. With the, we haven't had the meeting yet with the Grand Plan Trust perhaps to figure out you know, when they're available, but we figured probably one in each of the three areas where there might be a, a crossing. So we're, I don't know, maybe um, in Castor Valley, because that's close enough to the Dublin Island, I don't know if there's any other good venue near the Eagle Canyon and uh, one down the and, um, and then probably at the Martin Health Center, I would assume, for the the Altamont. Okay. Possibly, and I mean, unless, I don't know if Dr. Cillian is still on, but unless there's really no reason to look on the far side of the Altamont Pass, at least for the crossing, um, we wouldn't probably have one of those sections over on Mountain House or midway, way out that way. Jay Wilson, can I uh, make a comment? Yes. So, um, just with respect to that presentation, um, the last presentation we saw, the uh, study that they were presenting on was um, funded through a consultant contract that was administered by the city of Lenormore. Mm -hmm. And because there are public agencies here, um, you know, the way that we do these contracts, uh, one of the public agencies typically administers the contract and follows their own competitive procurement and competitive solicitation requirements. Um, I'm not familiar with Livermore's requirements, but I, I do believe that on the last ACRCD contract, they were able to uh, do it perhaps with a waiver or at an amount that was under the threshold for competitive solicitation. Um, but I just want to remind folks that we would go through one of the public agency's processes. So uh, there would need to be a contract with one of the agencies, administered by one of the agencies, funded through the AOMC funds, pursuant to the limitations in the settlement agreement. Um, and so that, just before it's the presentation is scheduled for the next meeting, uh, you know, some thought in terms of how, that, how we would administer that by producing. So you're talking about what Dick is talking about in terms of easements? Yes. Well, if the idea is that ACRCD would present a proposal for a new agreement, okay, which I think is what Mr. Schneider is referring to, mm -hmm. 
Okay. Just any new agreement. Yeah. Okay. You need to follow somebody's Right. Okay. Would you recommend that they identify that process at the same time that they're coming to us to ask for a contract? Well, I think that would help expedite it. And Liz might be able to jog my recollection. I think when we went through this process the last time for the uh, study that was presented in the previous item, uh, Livermore agreed to look at their process and determine that they could do it without. Um, doing what a full RFP, perhaps because they had an existing exemption or existing contract that they could have been. I'm not sure of the logistics, but there was some staff coordination in advance to determine the right way to address this. And um, I don't know what amount HRCD would be looking at, not likely relevant as to whether or not we want to do something more robust in terms of outreach and from some different people can offer similar services. Got it. So I guess we'll just wait and hear the proposal first. I wouldn't expect a grant proposal to be, you know, very expensive. It would be a $100,000 range for three presentations. Right. Um, you know, maybe 10000 or 15000 you know, yeah, 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 that much. You sure. have outreach, you have to be able to communicate to people who invite them. So there's going to definitely be costs, yeah. but nothing on the scale of the <clears throat> wildlife trapping work right? or the, the modeling work for the DSX. Right. So, so that would fit well within the, the 5% limit per year that, right. that the yeah. committee has. So that would work. And, and we can coordinate with city uh, little more staff um, any limitations they might have and, and how the process would work. So we can be ready to talk about that next week. I'm actually with you, Sarah Cities, I'm the biologist, so I've actually worked on this project. Um, so our of two will be, as this grant kind of comes along, the larger WCD grant, we'll also be holding things like this as well, stakeholder meetings to discuss things like that, reaching out to public, trying to find. So it will be, uh, we can also something to help support these kind of things as well through the grant. As part of the grant is to have a lot of land and outreach to you know, not only develop the plans to build the three um, potential um, Corridors or crossings, but also to uh, investigate purchasing land. That makes sense. Well, and just to clarify, the this this committee looks at the acquisition of land for open space. Yeah. Thank you. Any uh, members of the committee have any other comments, questions? Anyone from the community online with their hand raised? So I guess we'll look forward to perhaps next month or the month thereafter. Thank you, Dick. Um, moving on, item number six, consideration of payment for ecosystem services. Again, that's something we talked about in a, a number of meetings, May, September, November. Um, so don't you know, do sort of add to what I said, that is, it's not just going to be the proposal that the RCD will submit will not just be for crossing locations, including ecosystems, but anywhere. And parcels that have higher values of ecosystem services, just perhaps may just be more presence in special status species, higher ranked on the parcel ranking tool, for example, mm -hmm. might get a higher payment for the easement that's being that the land. Lesser value. Lesser. 
that's populated by a lot So if the proposal comes back and, and basically it's talking about doing this outreach in three different areas, um, how are we going to ensure that, that some of these landowners that have these higher ecosystems, you know, are going to participate? Are we going to really reach out to them because they have higher ecosystems? Or going to ask them twice? Or, I mean, because we want, look, this is the first time we've embarked on outreach and right. we have a good sum of money that, you know, is just sitting there waiting to be spent on, you know, open space in perpetuity. We want to do that because that's what the money's for. So I'm just hoping that, you know, we cast a very wide net, you know, as many folks participate or getting them yeah. excited about the opportunity to have somebody that wants to purchase their land. I think part of the goal of these is to explain how easements work mm -hmm. and why they're of value. Right. And not, you know, and then the second order is to explain what yours might be more valuable than your neighbors because yes. you've yeah. got more diversity on your device. I think you may remember Steve Stewart was here a couple of meetings ago. The city of Livermore is trying to purchase two pretty large tracts of land. Start with a G? Like no, 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 no. Okay. Not here. Okay. So to make sure. No, no, no. It's just to the east of the. Um, I mean, there's two plots on either side of 580, just east of the uh, aqueduct. Mm. One's 112 acres or 120, and the other's 65. I think we're going to have a special meeting to discuss this, right? February 16th. And that'll be more than 5,000. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, yeah. that's something that I think we have an opportunity uh, to purchase this pretty large purchase of open space. So I'm looking forward to that conversation coming up. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah. I, I have a question. To what extent would a you know, payment for ecosystem services um, incent behavior? I mean, certain parcels are worth more than others because of the you know, ecosystem you know, benefits. Um, are there landowners that would um, can be incentivized to take certain actions to improve their parcels? I think that would be something that, yes, I think that would be the goal that they have to. Improve the quality of the ecosystem on their property. The same way that you know, stock plants and that's happened. One you know, wildlife conservation board went to uh, gave a grant to the Copeland family to maintain um, stock plants because of their habitat for white legged frogs, for example, and they were able to pay estate taxes. The grant went to the guy. So, you know, again, the absolutely. You know, it's modern butterfly vegetation habitat, and that can be fostered. Well, they, you know, get extra payment for that. Now, the conservation easement would be permanent. The idea of the extra payment might be time limited. That is, you know, it has to be monitored. It may go for five years. It's been an endowment, and then you can pay for it. And then it might be renewed another time. I don't know the, the payment. Scaling will be in effect in perpetuity. And this is sort of certainly new to me. Other people have thought about that kind of thing. Anything else? Mm -hmm. Any members of the public? All right. Well, look forward to next month. Uh, I don't remember. Whoa. <laughs>
I don't see. Oh, I do see a hand. Lily, is your hand still raised, or is that? I think it's new. Yes. Okay. Okay. Perfect timing. Okay, I'm unmuted and I'm unmuted and I've been more reliable now. Um, this is a classic example of the, um, you know, the Native Americans. They're always talking. They don't really have individual land ownership, right? They have kind of a shared cultural thing, and and they view the land as not uh, even belonging to their tribe, but to you know various generations and things, and the you know, whole culture. Land is always being, uh, it's never really the property of anyone or even the present generation. The same thing is going on with uh, climate change. Um, the climate change is a lot of the costs are happening now, or no, a lot of the, well, upfront costs of, of lower carbon emissions and cost running to lower carbon emissions. And a lot of the benefits are going to come later when your grandchildren are not uh, drowning or burning to death or whatever whatever bad happens with the climate change. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing now is only for the benefit of people, great, great grandchildren. And likewise with these uh, with these uh, easement things, you know, we're asking, we're going to throw around money and that money has to be allocated such that, uh, you know, a long time from now, whoever is sitting on that land is not undoing whatever the current owners did to try to protect it. You have to make sure that they don't undo it. So, and, and, that, and that may, you uh, either do that through legal mechanisms or through incentives or through whatever, but somehow that has to be done. Otherwise, everything we do in, the, in our generation is gonna be undone in the next, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Well, when you put a conservation easement, somebody's gonna be monitoring the easement or enforcing the easement. Presumably, not putting the um, landowner to grade the quality of the land, but it hears about what happens if they don't. I don't I have no clue how they enforce all that, but it's not going to be just on the bill of the, of the landowner. Yeah, now the easement that we just passed a couple of meetings ago, there's money in there for any perpetuity. Right. Yeah. To yeah. Yeah, but they get you know, you two that you're going to get consultants about there. Yeah, and the settlement agreement provides for an endowment. Yeah, Good. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, thank you, sir. Moving on, item number seven update on available funding. Liz? available for the uh, eastern side which receives 80 percent of the funds is 21 million dollars and really want to know 24 cents for <laughs> um, the uh, western area which receives 20 percent of the funds the total amount uh, of funds available is Two million seven hundred twenty thousand three hundred seventy-three dollars and forty-seven cents. Oh, thank you. Spent a lot of money on the on the western side in in yes. some of the recent years. Yeah, expand plus the recreational park. So it's like 
Yeah, that partly explains the big disparity. Right. Any questions by the committee members? Any questions from members of the public? There are no hands raised. Anyone here? Seeing none, I'll move on to item number eight update on state planning process for Tesla Park. I don't see anyone. Well, I think you need to go on there first. So in the fall, state parks have a public workshop in Livermore. It has an online set of workshops, um, workshop uh, to solicit public input on what the park should look like and what it should be used for. Um, and so we collected a lot of information. Um, that part is done. I'm sure that the consultant place works is sifting through that and is going to consolidate that information. Um, on, their, on the website, this Colony um, Tesla plan.org, I think it is. Um, there, over the next six months, there's stakeholder engagement meetings. It's not clear what that means. It's just those are just words on the on the, pay, on the page. Um, and we haven't heard any details whether they're going to have meetings with separate interest groups, equestrians, bikers, you know, plant people, whatever. Um, Native Americans, but uh, so I'm not sure, but that's at least in on the schematic diagram of what's part of the next step. Uh, then, when they finish getting all the information, they're going to make a recommendation for what kind of a state park it's going to be, how it's going to be designated. And the two options are conventional state park, the most common ones, or a reserve. It could be a natural reserve for natural values, natural biological diversity values, or it could be a cultural preserve if it's dominated by um, cultural, cultural things. I don't think it can be a hybrid. It's got to be one or the other. Um, and so sometime, they're about a year behind schedule, but in theory, sometime in the fall, uh, they're going to present to the State Parks Commission a recommendation for the type of designation and the name of the, of the place. Um, and then once the designation has been adopted, they'll create a general plan and do an environmental impact report and figure out all the activities or you know, which activities can happen where on the, on the site. That will take another couple of years. Yeah, second one. Mm -hmm. Wow. There will be presumably one or two commission tours of the area, maybe over the summer or in the fall, and those will be available to the public. This would be a public meeting, um, and so they'd have to be opened up. It's not real easy to figure out how this would occur because most of the site is off Tesla Road and up high, and how you yeah. get people all up there, and you know, it's very steep dirt roads. But in theory, it would be open to the public. This would be a public meeting. Great. Any questions, comments from the committee? Any questions or comments from the public? That's right. So hands raised. Anyone here? Seeing none, we'll move on to item number nine, future agenda items and speakers. And look, I apologize. I was not able to get uh, Mr. Brown, the owner of N3 Cattle Ranch, here at this meeting. Um, I am optimistic that I will be able to get him in a future meeting. Um, I am in contact with his staff 
and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to bring him in here and hear him. Even if he was on screen. Yeah, I, I want him to, to, to get familiar with us and for us to get familiar with him and his future plans for the other What's his name again? And it's uh, Bob or Bill Brown. Yeah. Anything else for future agenda items, speakers? Any questions? Doesn't matter. All right. Yes. So going back to the speaker, Mr. Brown, um, is he the sole owner of Entry Ranch or is he in, um, in partnership with other people? I don't know the in and outs of, of who he is in partnership with, if any. It's my understanding that he solely purchased it. But I could be wrong, so don't hold me to okay. that. But when I spoke to his staff, they informed me that Mr. Brown is the owner. They didn't push me off to any other owners. They didn't push me to him. Maybe remember that money came from his foundation. Yeah. Presumably, it was a charitable foundation. Well, he, I don't know. He has a very successful um, business. I think it's like a oh, home depot. Home. Yeah, yeah. Something like that in, in Texas. <laughs> but he's from Danville. So he's here quite frequently. So definitely want to get him to hear it online. So anyone else have anything else? All right, moving on. Item number 10. Uh, that's the special meeting on February 16th. We look forward to hearing from the city of Livermore at 1230. It's 30. Yes, it is. Perfect. All right. Any questions or comments regarding that? Yes, I please. wanted to uh, mention something. Um, uh, the next, the following meeting, the regularly scheduled meeting, would be uh, in March, which conflicts with um, Dublin's St. Patrick's Day celebrations. So this room is not available for uh, our March meet today. So I was wondering um, what would be the the, the pleasure of the committee. Uh, one option is since we're having a special meeting in February, and if, if there's uh, no additional business to consider, we could consider canceling the March meeting, or we could, uh, we have been trying to find another location we could continue to do that, um, or we can try to find another date. Yeah, I, I'm. Well, one, a part of me wants to. Have a meeting on March so that we can hear a proposal if, if one is being proposed, and I guess we can always cancel if that doesn't happen, right? Um, but there's DSR, yeah, DSRSD. We can maybe ask, um, Pleasanton Zone 7 has a conference, yeah, Zone 7 has a conference, they have a very nice conference, so that's an option. Maybe Pleasanton City Hall can be. We still have the East PDA meetings there today, so we have a nice facility. So, yeah, I would if it's if everyone agrees, I would like to continue. Remodel. Yeah, that's right. It's remodel. Yeah, I haven't been there since, but yeah, I heard. <laughs> but I'd like to continue to have the meeting in March if, if I get concurrence. Sure. Okay. All right. So, uh, uh, for the February special meeting, when will materials be available for us to? Um, as soon as. We, uh, we we need to wait for the the grant uh, material from City of Livermore, and we should be able to turn it around in a couple of days. So we're shooting for at least a week before we begin. But it is. 
Perfect. Thank you. So that's confirmed then on the 16th. All right. Without any further questions or comments, I think we are adjourned. Thanks for joining us in person. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you. So thank you.